I had a good friend, now passed away, so I suppose I can tell this story. I asked him if he would show me around his chicken operation, which he did, and I think he had something like three or 400,000 hens. And we're about halfway through the tour, and he looked at me and he says, you know, sometimes some of them will get to know you. Well, this is a flock of 400,000 chickens, and I didn't tell him, but I thought to myself, yeah, and if they could get out, they would probably kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Notes from the Bee Yard. You're listening to Episode 21, Chickens I Have Known. Because farming and beekeeping are linked, it's not unusual for beekeepers to also do gardening, to have hens, solitary bees, and other projects happening around their homes. Tom Theobald kept homing pigeons and chickens, and he wrote about them beautifully with a focus on their behavior and personalities. My name is Laura Tyler, I'm your producer and host. This is episode 21, written by Tom Theobald in 1991, and read by Tom in August 2021. Barbara grew up on a dairy farm in southern Wisconsin, and during her childhood, her mother always kept a sizable flock of chickens. Chickens were a normal part of the diversified farming of that time when most farms included a wide range of crops and animals. Each year, the flock supplied fryers, broilers, and stewing hens for the family, and the egg money went for various and sundry needs. Chicken was such a regular part of their diet that Barbara's mother joked about building a restaurant down at the corner where the highway crossed the farm, called Chicken Every Sunday. As a 10-year-old in the early 50s, I worked on a chicken ranch in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, near 32nd and Pierce, in exchange for a little pocket change and the rights to ride Dolly, a white, toe-stomping 20-year-old mare. Grandmotherly Mrs. Farmer, her real name, had about 3,000 hens and her business was really just a grand application of the family flock. The chickens were kept in traditional white shed roof coops. They had a large chicken yard to roam during the day, guarded over by Gus the Goose. We always kept our eye on Gus when we went out to collect the eggs, prepared to make a quick dash between gate and coop. Gus had a special appetite for the backs of our upper arms, our calves, and the seat of our pants. His bites were always painful, and we went to great lengths to stay out of Gus's reach. At the end of the summer with Mrs. Farmer, she was toying with the idea of trying those newfangled wire cages to keep the chickens in and the eggs clean. Even at ten, I sensed a profound change coming in the way things were to be done. I was glad I didn't have to stay around and see all the chickens confined to little wire cages 
In Wee Ridge, and later when we moved to Arvada, my dad would get a batch of chicks each spring. He had grown up in the farm country of southern Minnesota, and getting chickens each spring was as natural a part of life as the appearance of the dandelions. It was my job to care for the chickens. It was presented to me as a part of growing up and accepting adult responsibilities, a character-building experience. But I suspected that there was something else at work as well. My dad wanted the chickens, but not the daily care. And what were kids for anyway? It was no surprise, then, that shortly after Barbara and I settled in Niwet as a young married couple in our first real home, a small flock of chickens soon appeared. Actually, we inherited three road-weary hens with the purchase of the house. Mrs. Wood told us that one of her friends would be by shortly to take them, but she moved on to South Dakota and the friend never materialized. Eventually, we found a home for these three old gals with a sympathetic neighbor. Our own flock started in the spring of 1975, when we split a batch of Aracana chicks with friends. The chicken business has changed a lot since I was 10 years old. Commercially, Chickens are kept in windowless buildings, in wire cages, and light, temperature, and humidity are closely controlled. Everything is very scientific. The chickens' lives are brief, bleak, and productive. Little goes to waste. Even the droppings which fall below the cages are harvested as a cash crop and the young, burned-out layers go to the soup-makers. Our flock is much smaller, numbering between 12 and 20. Initially, we saw them as the grasshopper patrol, an effective way to keep the grasshoppers from devouring the garden and eating the siding off the house. While we have friends in the egg business who count their daily production in the thousands of dozens, Eight or ten eggs is a banner day for us. The eggs were really just a bonus anyway, but there were other bonuses as well. Since the flock was small, and because they had the run of the backyard at most times of the year, we came to know each of them personally. We didn't invite them in for dinner or anything like that, but we learned their individual personalities, saw their social interactions, and discovered their quirks and foibles. In the chickens, we observed some of the same pathos and drama that humans experience. In fact, maybe it was easier to see those things in a poor dumb species far removed from us than it would have been to see them in our friends and neighbors or ourselves, for that matter. From the outset, I firmly resisted the role of executioner. As a youngster, that had been one of my jobs, and I had always balked 
when the axe finally arrived for those few favorites of mine among the flock. Barbara wasn't eager to take on that job either, and, as a result, our chickens have a lifetime home, free from any premature death. In the beginning, I expected a fairly high natural attrition, thinking that a full, rich life for a chicken probably amounted to four to five years. We know now that chickens are fully capable of good health for well over a decade. As a result of their extended time with us, many, but curiously not all, of the chickens got names. Some came from odd personality traits, others were named for friends or relatives, risky business with some if they found out, still others were just fanciful names which popped into mind. Among them were Mildred and Lorraine, Dagwood and Blondie, Pico and Fermi, Yosemite Sam, Chicken Little, Aunt M, and many others. Naming the chickens personalized them even more, and we soon began to accumulate memorable stories involving individual chickens, some humorous or amusing, some heartwarming, others sad and even tragic. What came first for you? Was it the chickens or the bees? Oh, the chickens. I came to Colorado when I was 10, and I, and I developed a friendship with a young man who was about my age. It, in fact, it was uh, Mrs. Farmer's grandson. And Mrs. Farmer had Dolly, the mayor, and Denny Farmer and I would work doing the chickens, gathering the eggs and things like that. And in return, we got to use Dolly. And we were young enough and small enough that we could both get on Dolly bareback, and Dolly took us all around Wheat Ridge. Not too developed at the time, still a lot of small farming operations, and uh, Dolly gave us the freedom to roam. That sounds so fun. <laughs> well, I, I've looked back on it now, and I've always had a freedom to escape. When I was growing up on the lake, I always had a friend or two who had a, a boat, small boat with a motor. And together, we could explore the lake. And the lake was about, oh, about 15 miles long and a mile wide. So the boat gave us independence at a very early age. Then when I came to Colorado, it was Dolly. And then shortly thereafter, I got a horse of my own, a handful for a 10-year-old, but uh, I was smart enough to deal with it. And Shorty gave me the freedom to roam all over Arvada and the surrounding area. There's a line you have in here... Um... As a youngster, one of your jobs was the executioner of the chickens, and you always balked when the axe finally arrived for your favorites. 
Can you tell me what made a favorite? How did you choose a favorite chicken in the flock? Well, you know, how do you pick your favorite people? I don't know. Uh, there was something about, out of a flock of about 50 chickens, I had maybe six, six or eight that had become favorites for one reason or another. And uh, it was one of my first expressions of my independence. We were moving out of, out of Arvada, and we had to get rid of the chickens. They went to the packer to be butchered, cleaned. And uh, my dad told me I had to do the killing, and I did that. I didn't like it, but I did that until I had six or eight of my favorites left. And I just went to my dad, and I said, I'm not doing it. If you want those chickens killed, you kill them. So it was one of my first uh, acts of independence at an early age. And then what did your dad do? He killed the chickens. He he understood that I was not going to budge. I had the same st strength of character that he had, and he knew that when I said that, I meant it. Mm -hmm. um, Tom, is there anything else you want to say about this that I didn't ask you? We had one chicken, oh boy, I forget her name now. She was nearly blind, nearly deaf, and every evening I would have to go out and I would cluck and call to her, and she would hear me, and she could see well enough that she could see my, my body in the dark, and I would make sure that she got into the coop and got closed in for the evening, and she lived to be 14. That's remarkable. Did any of your family or friends find out that they had a namesake who was a chicken? I think they probably did. Uh, Mildred was named after a, a good friend two doors to the west, Mildred Cedar. Mildred lived to be 94 years old, and she found out that we had named a chicken after her. It probably was a small chicken because... Mildred was, was a real short person, and uh, she took it in good spirits. I don't think anybody really ever objected to having a chicken named after them. Uh, they all took it in the spirit that it was intended. A lot of the names came from Tracy, because Tracy was probably 10 to 14 at the time, and she was always coming up with names. Uh, Pico and Fermi were two. They were two. Uh, now, two two things for our listeners. Who is Tracy? Tracy is my daughter. Yeah, and, and, and tell me about Pico and Fermi. I I'm unfamiliar. That sounds like it's something from pop culture. It's not. They're scientists. Pico and Fermi were scientists, and I don't know right. how uh, how Tracy came up with those two names. But we had a flock of. Uh, that were two hens and one rooster. They were, uh, oh, I forget the breed now, but Barbara had seen them somewhere and fell in love with them and bought these three chickens. And so Tracy named them. The hens were Pico and Fermi, 
And the rooster was Yosemite Sam. Yeah, so it sounds like the chickens were for fun. Yeah, fun, eggs. Initially, as I said, to eat eat up the grasshopper. We had a few years when the grasshoppers were really abundant. And they would eat everything. And we got the chickens to cut down on the grasshopper population. But we came to love the chickens over time. Thank you for listening to Notes from the Bee Yard. We publish new episodes on Fridays at noon. Join us next week for episode 22, Cluck, Gable, and Chicken George. In the meantime, hop on over to notesfromthebeeyard.buzz to subscribe. <laughs>